I will never tire of hearing stories of the great lengths God goes to in order to reveal himself to people who do not know him. Stories like that of a man named Halaludin, who goes by Hala. See, Hala lives in India, and for many years he was a devout Muslim, studied the Quran intently. But after some time, he grew discontent with the message of Islam. He realized that he was lacking peace in his life. He couldn't find it, no matter where he looked. And like many people in this world, Hala, he had never heard the gospel message, how someone can be saved from sin and hell and be brought into peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. He never heard that. In fact, with no one in his life to share that message with him, we might call the prospect of his salvation very unlikely. But let's not doubt our great God's ability to reach people, and let's never doubt our God's love for those who do not know him. One night many years ago, as Hala slept, he had a dream. And in that dream, a man in a white robe stood before him and said, Do you want real peace? Hala said, yes, that's, that's what I've been seeking, and I just can't seem to find it. So the man told him, he said, go and read the Holy Scripture. So Hala said, what's a Holy Scripture? And where can I get that? To which the man looked at him and said, the Holy Scripture is the Holy Bible. And you can get it from the India Every Home Crusade at 3 Bishop Rocky Street. Bizabad Road in Lucknow. Kind of a strange dream. After that, Hala woke up and he remembered all those details. It was so strange to him, but he wrote everything down. And the next day, he decided to send a letter to that address. This is what he wrote. In his letter, he said, I don't know who you people are or whether this address is even correct, but I'm writing exactly as I was told in a dream. So if you receive this, would you please immediately send me something that's called a Holy Bible? Well, that address was correct. It was the address of the gospel ministry, Every Home for Christ, who received his letter, quickly sent him a Bible. Dick Eastman writes that not too many weeks later, Hala gave his life to Jesus Christ. See, Hala's no longer lacking peace and forgiveness. Instead, he's been saved by Jesus. And I realize that some people in this world, would hear that story and say that it's ridiculous. Or they say it's impossible. Or at the very least, it's unlikely such a strange thing would happen. But truthfully, those who would think or say these things either grasp, uh, fail to grasp the power of God or, or the greatness of his love for the world. Allah's story is true, however unlikely it might seem. And this morning, we're going to take a look at what others might consider to be an unlikely story of salvation. And we're going to do that by turning together to Joshua chapter 6. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. Joshua chapter 6, this unlikely story of salvation. And in the end, I hope that we'll see God's great love towards us as well. Joshua chapter 6, if you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to use one of the Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 173. Page 173. Joshua chapter 6. As you turn there, it's been a couple weeks, so let me give everyone a brief recap of where we were when we were last in this book. 
So when we left off, Joshua and the Israelites were camped out near the city of Jericho, preparing to conquer it. But God threw out the military playbook of men, and he said that the strategy for this battle is that the Israelites would march around the city one time each day for six days. Then on the seventh day, they would march around the city seven times. Then they would let out a shout, and God was going to bring those walls down. So two weeks ago, we saw how the Israelites faithfully followed these commands on day one. Now we get to see what would happen for them after a week of faithfulness. Joshua chapter 6, let's pick up in verse 12. It says this. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. On the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver, gold, and articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And let's stop right here for just a minute. Like the Israelites, we're finally arriving at this moment after a lot of anticipation. Their first victory in the promised land was about to happen. God was going to do something miraculous. And as they stood right here on the cusp of victory, let's understand that there are two very different groups of people here on this day. And I'm not just talking about two opposing armies. Let's really understand who we're looking at. So first there were the Israelites. And the Israelites were different than all the other nations in the land of Canaan. Not just because the Israelites were former slaves who had lived as nomads for four decades, while the people in Canaan had cities and towns and permanent dwelling places. No, the Israelites were different because of who they followed. They were following the one true God of the universe. The God who parted the Red Sea as they fled from the Egyptians. Who provided food and water for them in the wilderness. Who guided them protected them, instructed them, and who powerfully led them through the flooding Jordan River right to the walls of Jericho. Israel was different because of who they followed. They were God's people. They were the ones walking by faith in a relationship with God. Then there were the people of Jericho. You know, the people of Jericho could boast about their fortified city. Oh, I had high walls. They were forced to be reckoned with in the land. But even they knew that right now they couldn't boast about the gods that they followed. Uh, they worshipped idols made by human hands, uh, gods who had never done anything 
certainly who hadn't done the things the God of Israel had done. And the people of Jericho had heard of the miracles and the greatness of Israel's God, and they were terrified. But although they had time to repent of their sin or flee from the coming battle, the people of Jericho decided that they were going to stand against the God of the universe. They were determined to resist, to trust in man-made idols, man-made walls, to trust in warfare, and to die in battle against God if they must. What made them different is that they were the spiritually lost ones. They were the ones with no faith in God, no relationship with Him. Now their hearts were held captive to the idols that they chased after. They were living in the passing pleasures of sin by their own choosing. They were such a hateful, idolatrous, sinful nation and people that God said they couldn't continue living in the land. Because those who continued to reject Him and to hold on to sin would pay the just penalty for sin. But then we find that there was an exception in the city of Jericho that day. So let's keep reading. Look at verse 20. It says, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out, and all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, where they put the silver and gold articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now, we've heard this story before, haven't we, a lot of us? Maybe we heard it as kids when we were growing up. Read this story to my son just a couple days ago. The walls came tumbling down. But have you ever read the story and wondered how God brought the walls down? Not whether he did it, but how he did it. I mean, was it an earthquake? Did his powerful, unseen arms smack the walls over? Maybe he unleashed his angel armies on it? How did the people inside the city respond when that happened? Did they put up much of a fight? How long did the battle actually rage that day? I ask these questions because I'm reading the story and thinking to myself, you know, there was a lot of buildup to this day at the city of Jericho, this miraculous victory that God brought, but we don't actually have a lot of details about the battle. And I believe that one reason is because this victory, while it was strategically important and miraculously won, it was only one of the incredible things that happened that day. It's usually the one we think of most. The walls came tumbling down. But remember, there are two groups of people present. There are the people of God, and there are people who are far from God. And some people reading the story, some of the Israelites there on that day, may have thought that the people of Jericho had absolutely no hope, no chance for repentance. Just like today, there are people who think that they're too far gone 
There's no way that God could save them or forgive them. But then in the midst of all this, there was Rahab. You see, Rahab was one of those spiritually lost people on the outside of God's family looking in. Like Hala, Rahab hadn't known true peace in her life. She would have been considered by many in Israel and probably many in her own city as hopeless or irredeemable. Someone unworthy of the love and care of an almighty God. And this is Rahab's story of rescue. Her story of salvation, and it may have seemed like an unlikely one. Let me explain why. Keep in mind that Rahab was a Gentile. That means that she wasn't born into the nation of Israel. Now, that was never a requirement for salvation, but the Jews were blessed to have the commands and the promises, the covenants of God. Rahab hadn't heard of all these things. In the eyes of the Jews, Rahab, she was a hopeless pagan living in the land, unlikely to ever know the living God. We can safely assume that for much of her life, she'd been living in the same idolatry as her countrymen with all the sick practices that came with it. And not only had she lived in spiritual idolatry, but her very profession of prostitution is by definition the rejection of purity and loyalty and honor. In other words, in the eyes of people, if there was anyone there that day that someone might say was spiritually hopeless and broken, beyond repair, beyond saving, they might point and say, she is. Rahab is, beyond hope. Yet in Joshua chapter 6, in the midst of all these things going on, the God of Israel and the God of the universe points to Rahab and tells Israel, she's part of my family, and today I'm saving her. See, everything else was going to be destroyed because of sin, but not Rahab and her family, they were going to be freed from the penalty, from that judgment that came. Yeah, yeah but, but Rahab lived a life of sin, right? Didn't she? I mean, did she deserve to be saved? Did she deserve to be set free from the judgment on the, the city, to be brought into the family of God? No, she didn't deserve those things. And that's where we find this incredible thing that took place on this day. Not just God's power on display and tearing down the city walls, but the undeserved, overwhelming display of God's love for those who are far from him, like his love for us. Don't misunderstand, the victory over Jericho was important. It was incredible. It impacted the rest of Israel's military campaign in the land. But Rahab's faith impacted her eternity. There was a lot of joy in the Israelite camp on that day when they defeated Jericho, but there is great joy in heaven because the sinner turned to God in faith. Understand, Rahab wasn't saved because she deserved it or earned it, and she wasn't saved because she did a nice thing by hiding the spies. Now, the Bible makes it clear Rahab hid the spies because she believed in God. So think back if you've been with us through our study. In Joshua chapter 2, Rahab said to the spies, she said this. She said, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. 
Rahab was saved because she believed that the God of Israel was the only one true God. She was saved because she believed that God was worth leaving her city and her life and her old beliefs behind. She put her faith in the one true God, unlike the rest of the city. So Rahab was saved, unlike the rest of the city. And as a result of her faith, her family was impacted. They were blessed to be introduced to the one true God and step into safety that day as well. On this day, Rahab, she was saved. She became a part of God's people. And you want to know something? After Rahab was saved by God's great grace from destruction and from her former way of life, God had more in store for her. Her story didn't end here. The Bible goes on to show us that Rahab later married a man named Salmon. One of their descendants was a future king of Israel named David. As many of you may remember, it was through the line of David that the Savior of the world came. That means that Rahab, someone that many would have considered beyond hope, became an ancestress in the line from which the Messiah came to the world. See, where others may have seen a woman beyond saving, God saw a woman that he created, that he cared for, someone that he had been waiting her whole life to come to him in faith so that he could save her. And the truth I want us to realize, not just looking at the battle of Jericho, but every battle we're going to see throughout the book of Joshua, the truth is this opportunity was available for every person in the land. It was available for every person in Jericho. There was a time where they could have made the same decision. God desires that people would turn to him in faith and be saved. But those who refuse to do so will soon face the judgment for their sin. And the same thing is true today. Today, there are two groups of people in the world. There are those who have no relationship with God. They're chasing the passing pleasures of sin, serving whatever idol, serving themselves. They are the spiritually lost ones. Then there are those who are the people of God, walking by faith in a relationship with Him. And they're not as people because of good things that they've done, but because the day came when they recognized they were separated from God in their sin that they were headed for the just penalty of hell. And then they heard. They heard how Jesus Christ came and died on the cross to pay that price, to take the penalty we deserve. And that Jesus did this so that forgiveness of sin and freedom from hell and eternal life could be made available through faith in Him. Those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ as our Savior, we need to remember that like Rahab, we didn't deserve our salvation. Like Rahab, we were once hopeless and broken. Helpless without Jesus Christ. Like Rahab, we were once on the outside of God's family looking in. And then one day, like Rahab, we were on the outside walking in, walking into God's family by faith in Jesus Christ. And that changed our eternity. And believers, that's something that we can rejoice in. You know, I realized that we talk about salvation and eternity a lot here at First Baptist Church of Oxford, and some of you might know that. And there's a reason for that. We believe it's of the utmost importance. I want to explain that in just a minute, but first let's look at verse 26. 
says, at that, at that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. So let's understand why these verses matter. First, for Israel. What was going on for them? First, that day at Jericho, the Israelites received another great reminder that God's word will always come to pass. God said that the walls were going to come down. They did come down. God said that he was going to give them the victory, and they received it just like he promised. God said that he would be with Joshua, and he clearly was. All right? The Israelites could trust in God's word, which means... They could trust God's words spoken through Joshua here concerning the city of Jericho. That this place of sin wasn't supposed to be rebuilt. If it was, there would be consequences. Now, many years later, a man named Hiel in the city of Bethel, he rebuilt the city of Jericho anyways. Now, maybe he had never heard or just didn't care about what God had spoken through Joshua. So he rebuilt the city. And this is what 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34 tells us. It explains how Hiel laid the foundations of the city at the cost of his firstborn, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son in accordance with the word of the Lord. Why does that matter? Because God's word will always come to pass. It will always hold true. And the same thing is true for eternity. Understand that when God's word says that apart from faith in Jesus Christ, we will be separated from God for an eternity in the torment of hell, we can be confident that those things will come to pass for those who reject him. In the same way, when God says that forgiveness and eternal life are available through faith in Jesus Christ, we can trust that this is true for everyone who gives their life to Jesus. And that they will be with the Lord forever after this life. God's word will always come to pass, including in eternity. So the question this morning is, which group of people do you find yourself in today? If you can say with confidence that you are one of God's people, that you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've been forgiven of sin and rescued from hell and brought into the family of God, then let today be a day that you rejoice in your salvation, in your story of rescue. Never forget that like Rahab, we were once those far from God, but realize that he never gave up on us. Realize that one of the great things that happened on that day was not just the toppling of city walls, but the rescue of someone who was once far from God. And believer, recognize that the greatest part of your story is when Jesus saved your soul. I also encourage all of us as Christians to notice that Rahab's faith impacted her family. So we need to ask, who is our faith impacting? God's not done with your story, believer. Just like he wasn't done with hers. So for those of us who can say with confidence that we're a part of God's family, this is my encouragement for you to remember this morning. It's this, don't keep your faith in the story of your salvation to yourself, believers. Don't keep your faith. Don't keep the story of how Jesus rescued you from sin. Don't keep that to yourself. Rahab's faith impacted her family. 
Who can your story of faith impact this week? Who can you share the message of the gospel with this week? Maybe it's someone here today. Because maybe you're joining us today, and if you are honest, you know that you are in that group of people who are far from the Lord. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I shared a very abbreviated version of this message with a small group this past week. And a young guy came up to me and said, do you really think that God could love somebody like me? And I told him that I know that God loves someone like him. Because God proved that when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. If you're here and Jesus isn't your Savior, please understand that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you know you are from God, you're not so far that he cannot reach you. You're not so broken that he cannot save you. He does love you. He has been waiting your whole life for you to come to him so that he could save your soul. So Jesus Christ came to this earth and died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. And after he died, Jesus was buried and three days later powerfully rose from the dead, proving he's no mere man. He's the son of God. He's the savior. And he's the only one who can rescue us from that penalty our sin deserves. And the Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you have never done that, we want to give you the opportunity to do that before you leave. Let's pray together. Friend, if that's you, if you're here and you know that Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you've never given your life to Him. But if you're ready to change that, please know that you can do that right now. No matter what you've done, no matter where you are in life, no matter what's going on for you in this moment, right now, you can give your life to Jesus Christ. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll bring you into His family. He'll give you eternal life. You will always be His. You can go to Jesus in prayer and admit that you know you're a sinner. But that you know He died on the cross for you. That you believe He rose from the dead. And give Him your life. Ask Him to be your Lord and Savior. And He'll save your soul. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone here today who's still not sure where they stand with you, who has questions, who's just need someone to talk to about that. I pray they wouldn't leave this place without talking to someone. I pray they'd come and talk to me during this final song. Or that they'd find me or Pastor Richard or Pastor Brandon after the service. Because they don't have to go through life not knowing where they stand with you. And Father, for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ, help us to be faithful to share our faith and our story of salvation with others. Because there are so many people in our lives who need to be impacted by our faith. So help us not to be silent about it, but to lovingly share it every opportunity we have. Father, thank you for your incredible and overwhelming love that you displayed towards Rahab. And thank you for your undeserved, overwhelming love that you displayed towards us when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. Because, Father, we love you you've proved you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.